Hey, good morning. Uh, so this morning we'll be focusing on the phrase at the feet of Jesus. Uh, it's found uh, in the Gospels uh, several different times. And uh, I have a, just an artist rendition, a painting um, of just uh, one uh, image that comes to mind uh, when you think at the feet of Jesus, certainly on the screen. But uh, there, there's so much depth to that picture. What a great picture, literally, spiritually. Uh, so many other images can come to mind when you hear the phrase at the feet of Jesus. Um, just a few could be the little children gathered around to listen. Uh, the posture of praise and worship uh, that we see described in Revelation of the elders and the saints gathered around the, the throne uh, room of Christ at his feet, just worshiping. Uh, and uh, maybe an image that we think of um, at the altar, just laying down your burdens at the feet of Jesus. So I really want us to better understand uh, what is found at the feet of Jesus. And to do that, we'll be looking at three New Testament passages this morning, all involving people who found themselves at the feet of Jesus. And we'll be relating their experiences to our lives uh, to see uh, what is found uh, out of drawing near uh, to the presence of Christ. And I'm going to propose that there's three unique gifts and blessings found at the feet of Jesus. Uh, they are forgiveness, transformation, and purpose. Starting with forgiveness, we'll be looking at the woman caught in adultery in John 8, 2 to 11. Uh, it will be on the screen, but uh, please feel free to follow along uh, in your Bible. John 8, 2 to 11. At dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law. Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write in the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote, on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now, leave your life of sin. First thing we notice is that this woman didn't choose to come to Jesus. She was literally dragged before him. And those who brought her to Jesus did so for one thing, condemnation and judgment, both of her and of him. We see in verse six that this was intended as a, a way to trap Jesus um, in his mercy going against the scriptures, because the ladies accusers were referring to a law from Leviticus uh, 20. And under that law, the woman's fate was sealed. She stood guilty and faced immediate judgment, which would be stoning. But now she was at Jesus' feet. 
And essentially, it was the sentencing phase of the trial. And no doubt, she was shocked by how Jesus responded. We see in verse 7 that they kept questioning him. He straightened up and said, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. What a powerful reply that impacted each member of the crowd. Because it turned their focus from judging the woman and judging Jesus, which is why they were originally there, to judging themselves. And they each found something in their own lives that forced them to walk away as an admitted sinner. And there's a lot of study that can be done about the crowd, but that's not our focus this morning. Our focus this morning, really the heart of the passage begins once the woman is alone at the feet of Jesus. At this point, the woman is face to face with the only one who has the right and the power to condemn her. The crowd was gone, but the only judge and jury that counted was still standing, and that's Jesus. Regardless of who we are or what we have done, according to Scripture, we are all in the same position as that woman was, guilty in the presence of Christ. Romans 3.23 states, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter if everyone around us knows our sins, like in the case of the woman, or if no other person does, because in either situation, God knows. In this way, the woman's situation represents each of us in that our natural state, we are guilty at the feet of Jesus. But let's see how Jesus responded to the woman. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus responds with forgiveness and grace. He freed her from judgment and told her to live in his forgiveness. So this first passage shows powerfully that forgiveness is found only in the presence of Christ. Let's return to Romans 3 to complete the thought. Romans 3.23 starts, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then verse 24, And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Praise God for the truth of verse 24. Of course, there are many other verses in the Bible that emphasize and reinforce Jesus as a source of forgiveness. And, and I'll reference two of them. Ephesians 1.7 In Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. And John 3.17 and 18, the two verses immediately following that very well-known John 3.16. John 3.17 and 18. Jesus is speaking. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Forgiveness can truly only be received. From Jesus Christ. The second passage we'll be looking at this morning is Luke 8, 26 to 35, and it is the deliverance of the demon possessed man. And this is really going to highlight transformation and deliverance as being blessings that are found at the feet of Jesus. So in Luke 8, 26 to 35, uh, again on the screen, but you can follow along in your Bibles. 
They sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had driven, been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And the demons begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This passage describes a remarkable change for a man that for a number of years was known simply as Legion. Let's take a closer look at the before and after pictures we see in this story. And I think we're all familiar with commercials and other things that talk about before and after, oftentimes advertising a cleaning product or something like that. But this is so much more of a powerful uh, comparison of before and after because it deals with a person. We see that, see that before he was naked, uncontrollable, and while he was an escaped prisoner, he was not free. He lived in tombs as if he was already dead. So he didn't have any connection with the living. He was tormented by a bomb of demons and we can imagine him screaming in the tombs. The after is a simple phrase, clothed in his right mind. It's a simple statement for such a stunning and complete change. And verse 35 contains the reason for the transformation, and that is sitting at Jesus' feet. That's the active ingredient behind this transformation. In order to get from the before picture to the after picture, the active ingredient is the presence of Christ. This passage describes a complete transformation that occurred in the presence of Christ. 
And there's key aspects of the transformation that reveals truths about Jesus that relate to all of us. Jesus' mission is liberty and deliverance. Remember that even though Legion had broken the chains and was not physically a prisoner, he was definitely not free since he was held captive in his soul and his spirit was in bondage. We don't have to be behind bars this morning or in chains this morning to be in need of deliverance. Without coming to Christ for deliverance, we are not free in our souls, even if we might look free on the outside. Deliverance is a cornerstone of the mission and ministry of Jesus right from the beginning. In fact, early in Jesus' earthly ministry, he went into a synagogue and announced his mission by reading a powerful passage from the prophet Isaiah. And this is recorded in Luke chapter 4. So only two chapters after his birth is recounted. One of the first things he does in his ministry uh, is read from the prophet Isaiah. Luke chapter 4 verses 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. Jesus brings liberty, healing and recovery. Christ came to free people who are held in bondage by sin and the wreckage that that sin causes. We see also that Jesus gives a new mind. A key aspect of the man's transformation was a change of mind, a better way of thinking, a wholeness instead of the brokenness that he had been living in. This change is not just for the man in Luke 8. God wants to change how we think, replace the broken and failed patterns of our thoughts. From God's perspective, we are all just as much in need of a new mind as the man was. And we too can receive a soundness and a wholeness of mind that can only come from him. To reference Romans 12 two, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. It's clear that a transformation in Christ changes the way we think. And we see this referred to in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Here is another brief before and after image. Before 2 Timothy 1.7 references that the old mind is governed by fear. But the after image is that the new mind is filled with love, focused on the Lord, and is a sound mind. Transformation from Jesus brings liberty to our soul and a new way of thinking to our mind. For our third theme this morning, we'll be looking at John 12, to 3 At the interaction of Mary, the sister of Lazarus, with Jesus... And this really keys in on the purpose and the mission that we can all receive at the feet of Jesus. Just a quick reminder, John 11 is just a, 
amazing passage of Jesus uh, doing a miracle in the life of Lazarus uh, by raising him from the dead after he was in the tomb for, for four days. And Mary is one of two sisters of Lazarus. We don't know how much time elapsed between John 11 and John 12, but now we come in John 12, verses 1 to 3. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. This scene might be one of the first to come to mind when you hear the phrase at the feet of Jesus. Just a quick snapshot of a touching moment of someone giving heartfelt thanks to Jesus for the miracle he had performed for her brother and by extension for her family. At first glance, it might be easy to miss what Mary received from being at Jesus' feet. It's not outwardly as dramatic as the forgiveness the woman brought in for execution received or the transformation of a man from a demon-possessed outcast to a Christ-inspired evangelist. But if we look more closely, we can see that being at Christ's feet gave Mary the opportunity to show her gratitude for the miracle performed in her life. It also gave her a purpose and a mission to demonstrate her thankfulness for Jesus. Our lives should be an active celebration of the miracle that Christ is working in us. We can learn to, like Mary, act with a strong passion and find purpose for living by spending time at the feet of Jesus. So that by serving and glorifying Christ through our actions, our lives become sweet-smelling like perfume to those around us. Because we notice here that the perfume was noticeable by everyone around it. It had an impact. It filled the house. They could not deny that the perfume was there, that purpose, that love, that thankfulness. So by living to honor Christ, our lives can also impact everyone around us as well. And while this morning we looked at a single person's experience for each of the three blessings found at Jesus' feet, it is absolutely possible for one person to receive all three and even more. And to demonstrate this, I just want to remind you of the life of Paul, just a great example of all three blessings we looked at this morning. He started on the road to Damascus on a mission to continue leading persecution of believers in Jesus. Then suddenly he found himself at the feet of Jesus, who appeared to him in a powerful and a personal way on the road. And from that moment, Paul received forgiveness, transformation, so much so that his name was permanently changed from Saul to Paul, and a purpose, being a missionary, an apostle, and even author of many books of Scripture. So in conclusion, I want to leave us with a challenge for all of us to remember that being at the feet of Jesus and in the presence of Christ brings forgiveness that only Christ can offer produces transformation that includes both liberty of our soul and a renewed mind and gives purpose to our life 
a life of gratitude, serving the Lord by being a witness to others.